Hey guys, and welcome to this Vegas edition of the Low Key Podcast. Now, if you don't have any low key swag, go to www.lowkeypodcast and get a t shirt. Now, without further ado, Lovelating Brewing. It's nice, it's easy, and Viva Las Vegas. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Low Key. I am stoked to be at my hometown, Las Vegas, Nevada, or we're in Henderson, kind of same thing, um, to be with Richard from Love Lading Brewing. How you doing on this windy day? I didn't know it was windy. I haven't been outside all day, so <laughs> I'm fine. No, thanks. <laughs> nice. Um, so I'm, I'm drinking a couple of your... Um, of your, of your rotating beers. Kind of describe some of the beers I'm drinking right now. Um, well, so we, we try to be a little off-center on a lot of our beers here. Uh, I spent 20 years making German lagers for Gordon Biersch, and so kind of wanted to get away from that and do some other things. So um, when we opened, I noticed that the, none of the breweries in town were doing a, 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 a sour, and so... Uh, this is a kettle sour, so we use the, the, the Greek yogurt method on it and uh, add a little puree pineapple to it. So it's it's kind of a starter sour. It's not extremely sour, but it's nice and tart, and it's got the just a hint of the pineapple in there without being overwhelming. Uh, let's see. The next one we have up would probably be the uh, Love Juice. That's our uh, north. That's our version of a Northeast IPA. So we're using oats, we're using wheat, we're using barley. Um, and we change it every time we brew it. So uh, this version is Love Juice number 10. And this one uh, pretty much just um, has citra hops in it. Uh, the next batch, number 11, is already in the tank, and that's got Mosaic, Idaho 7, and Lemon Peel. Um, so, uh, And we do distribute that one, too, uh, and people like the fact that it changes. Um, and it makes it easier to keep it on a tap handle because it is always changing. Um, then uh, the porter you have in front here is called our paleo porter. We actually named it after a, uh, there's a paleontologist that's a regular here over at UNLV. And he, wow. found, uh, he found a dinosaur skeleton, him and his grad students out in the Valley of Fire State Park. And it could be the largest dinosaur ever discovered in Nevada. Uh, but they don't have it all out of the ground yet, so they don't have a name for it. So... We just call it paleo, and it's a coffee. Uh, so the coffee comes from Mothership Roasters here in Green Valley, uh, peanut butter and chocolate uh, porter. Um, and it's proving to be really popular, so it's probably going to be out in cans again on a regular basis sometime this summer. And then the last one is my, my twist on German brewing. I, you know, for years made all those German lagers, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to use some American hops in them. And so what I did is I made a Hellesbach, a Goldenbach, and then hopped it with Eldorado and Citra hops. And so, so we call it our Bach IPA. Okay. And it's Outbach is what we call it. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what first started the journey of creating Love Lady, and how did you get into craft beer? Okay, well, uh, I have a twin brother, identical. And uh, when we were in high school, my dad was a home brewer. 
he divorced my mom. He left, but he left behind all his equipment. And my mom was a teacher, so at the tender age of 16, we were homebrewing in the backyard. Uh, it, it wasn't very good stuff, but it, it had alcohol in it. And at that age, that's pretty much all that counts anyway. Um, and I homebrewed on and off. And honestly, I was never a great homebrewer. I yeah. enjoyed it, um, but I didn't have the discipline. You know, you got you got to clean, 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 and, and make sure everything's just tidy. And uh, I was always uh, the kind of homebrewer that was not good enough, you know, good enough, and comes back to bite you after a while. But um, I uh, got a degree from uh, Berkeley in economics, then went to Europe and got a master's in international business. That's awesome. And uh, came back during the Bush one recession, couldn't find a job, uh, so I went back into transportation. And about that time, my twin brother graduated from UNLV uh, School of Restaurant Management, and uh, he said, hey, let's start a brew pub. And I was all for it, so I quit my job and I went to uh, uh, American Brewers Guild. Uh, at that time, it was it was actually based in Woodland, right next to Davis, California, and it was sort of the summer gig for all the fermentation science professors at UC Davis. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> the great thing about that program, it wasn't another four years because I really didn't want to spend another four years getting another degree. <laughs> and uh, they apprenticed you to a brewery. And uh, so I, was, I got a job at the brewery I was apprenticed at. It was a small brewery in San Mateo, California. It's no longer there, Barley and Hops. And uh, working for a whole $6 an hour when they called my boss, I offered him a job for Gordon Biersch in Las Vegas. And since I had family here, I knew Las Vegas well, and uh, so I got the job here. And then I spent uh, almost 20 years at Gordon Biersch uh, brewing, and then I was a regional brewer for a good part of that too. So I oversaw four to five other uh, Gordon Biersch uh, breweries around the country. Okay. Yeah. And then once my kids got into college, my wife, who's from Northern California, said either you're opening your own brewery or we're moving back to Northern California. And looking at house prices in Northern California, uh, it was cheaper to open a brewery here. And like, yeah. like I said, we got a lot of roots here in Henderson, Nevada, and Las Vegas, too. So uh, it was a pretty easy decision. Yeah, that, that sounds like a easy decision to make, <laughs> especially the college thing, too. Um, I think I tried that for two years, and, and I, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to go this route anymore. <laughs> totally yeah. <laughs> So what was the first craft beer that you tried that inspired you in a different way to be like, oh, my gosh, I want to be in craft beer? Well, my dad actually was a connoisseur of beer, so I was lucky enough to grow up in uh, Northern California, and so we always had Anchor in our fridge. Uh, so uh, uh, one of my all-time favorites is still Anchor Steam. Uh, loved, loved that beer. Uh, and, then, and then we were one of the, you know, first outside counties uh, to start getting Sierra Nevada and when that started coming in. And, and after that, um, there was a brewery that opened up in Hayward, California called Buffalo Bills. Um, and I think it was late 80s when it opened. And we practically lived there. I would just loved everything they put out because it was just so different. Yeah. And uh, when you homebrew too, then you, then you go home and you try to replicate that kind of stuff. So that's pretty much the, the origins. And then, you know, I spent two years in Belgium and uh, that opened my eyes quite a bit to what yeah. beer could be uh, going around all the breweries there and uh, uh, drinking all those beers. Mid -burp. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there any differences? Cause you guys, you guys began about two years ago. Correct. Is there any differences that you notice now then from where you started? 
it seems like it's changing all the time. Um, yeah, I, coming from a brew pub environment, um, uh, especially at Gordon Beers, where you don't change your beers all that much, um, uh, you know, I kind of went in this thinking, oh yeah, we'll have two or three core beers and then we'll just rotate some other beers. But with this market today, it's it's almost like you can't have core beers anymore. Uh, uh, you do, but uh, you can't rely on them like you used to. So it's all about what's new and great and uh, different out there. So, you know, we have three beers that we put in cans, but um, one of them we're actually probably going to discontinue and then put on the paleo. And then we try to do six to eight seasonals in cans a year because th those are the things that move, you know. And, and yeah. uh, we have some places that will reserve a tap handle just for our, our seasonal because it is every two months. Um, and that's, that's tough to do nowadays is to secure a tap handle. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's constantly changing. So I'm always looking across the country to see what's new and what's going on. And uh, if, if there's a beer style kind of like the, the Northeast IPA, which came to Vegas pretty late actually um you know what what can i do different on it what's what's my what's my spin on that beer and then that's that's what i'll do and then then i'll try to take what i know about german beers and and put twists on them so i've got a beer on tap in the tap room right now we call it the moleinator yeah. uh, but it's a it's an amber bock that has uh ancho chili cinnamon and cocoa in it and uh, and then I also try to use local products, but as you know, being from Vegas, there's not a lot of farms here, so no, yeah. it's, it could be a little tough. Yeah, a lot of tumbleweeds. <laughs> how how have you been growing up in Vegas, um, seeing the beer scene? How have you seen it change since you've been in it? Well, for a long time, it didn't change at all um when i when i helped open the gordon beers here in town i think it was 96 there was about five, four or five breweries and we got up to eight or nine and we stayed there for like 10 years and and at one point when i first came here we had more breweries than san diego did yeah. uh and, and obviously that's changed now but vegas has kind of stayed the same and uh part of the problem is is you have vegas and then you have the strip and the strip is a whole different world and uh up until recently, uh, the Strip wasn't interested in promoting local products. And, and now they're starting to get on the bandwagon, so we're starting to see that. Um, but uh, a lot of the big beer companies uh, have a huge presence in, on, on the Strip. And they've, they've kind of extended that presence out to the local bars. So sometimes it's really, really tough to even get a tap handle because they got them all locked down. Yeah. Um, and then again, that's starting to change again. It's, it's really nice. And we've had... Well, I'm still the newest brewery in town, um, but uh, I think we're up to 15 breweries now, which is, That's great. yeah, a, a lot. And there's two more on the way that I know of, and I'm sure there's more uh, that want to open. It's like everywhere else in the country. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's getting there. But the culture here is just still so far behind anything on the West Coast. And I would even say East Coast now and maybe parts of the Midwest. You know, not all of it, but, um, uh, and then lastly, the last thing is, is, you know, everybody sees this trip and all the tourists that we come in. And so all the craft beer companies in the country are trying to get a presence here in Las Vegas too. So yeah. it's a tough market. Yeah. Cause there's like, from, from what I've seen growing up, not just in craft beer, but just in local businesses and stuff, it's just, it's a lot of corporation stuff. And w what I love about like, like what you guys are doing, and then Mothership I've seen doing in the craft industry 
Um, it's just that's creating a local kind of locale thing and something that's outside of what Vegas is norm right. is from the corporate world, which I want to see more grow, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and I think actually the big change came uh, during the recession because Vegas used to be such a transient town. Yeah. And now all of a sudden everybody's stuck here because their houses are underwater, they can't get out, um, and they stayed. And even after the recession, they still stayed. And so you have a lot more people here. Um, I'm sure you, you had this growing up too, but you know, you talk to people, how long have you been to Vegas? Oh, one year, two years, you know. Yeah. And, it, and if you've been here five, you were considered a local, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, but now, you know, I talk to people all the time, oh yeah, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. And so now they're, they're taking more ownership in their community and they want more local things. Uh, yeah. You know, they don't, they don't want the, the 24 hour 7-Eleven on the corner anymore. They want, they want, you know, a nice little brew pub where they can come in and have a beer and have some conversation, so. What would you say was your biggest struggle in building up Love Lady or something you guys, you feel like you still struggle with? Oh, definitely the financing. You know, we, we saved for years and years. And so the Love Lady Brewing is, is a family-owned business. So it's me, my three brothers, oh, that's cool. and my best friend from high school, which is we call the fourth or fifth brother. Um, and uh, uh, we had quite a fair amount put away. And I didn't want to start small. I didn't want to be... Uh, you know, I'm, I was in my mid-40s, so it's not like I really wanted to open a seven-barrel and um, work 14 hours a day uh, and then always be chasing my tail, trying to expand and, and move up. So I wanted to go a, a certain size, and um, so that necessitated getting a loan. And, boy, getting a loan is tough. Uh, anybody <laughs> tells you different, it's not, you know. And uh, the S we got an SBA loan finally, but... Um, uh, we still continue to struggle with the loan, uh, mainly because it's a floating interest rate. So in today's environment, every time the interest rate goes up, guess what? Our payments go up. So, um, you know, well, we're dealing with it okay. Uh, it's just that that's my biggest worry, probably. Um, you know, uh, like I said, you can go too small and then keep spending more and more money and trying to catch up. But you can also go too big and, yeah. and have to deal with the big overhead. I think we hit it just about right here. But, uh, you know. Time, time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, was there any breweries that inspired you um, in creating Love Lady or, or, or a brewery that continually inspires you? That's, that's tough. Uh, uh, I have, I'm a fan of certain brewers and, and, and certain products. Um, uh, but, and I know a lot of brewers. I've been in the industry for a, for a long time. Uh, I still am a huge fan of German lagers, even though I made them for years and years. Um, yeah. the, the problem is, is they, they, they don't create a lot of excitement anymore. Um, I still think <clears throat> a freshly done Czech Pilsner is one of the finest beers on the planet, um, but you got to get it fresh. Yeah. Um, and uh, I now I, I can't say I follow any one brewery. I, I just kind of follow... Uh, other trends are going along because there's there's so much young and new blood coming in, yeah. and they look at things totally different than I do. And and I'm constantly trying to rearrange my thought process, not to get stuck in in a in a, in a rut and say, oh no no, this is what we're going to do, and this this is all we're ever going to do. I, I don't think you can do that anymore. Um, uh, I I still love what New Belgium does. I, I 
like love uh, what Firestone Walker does. Um, and then uh, I just love visiting breweries and seeing what their, their takes on stuff are. And mm -hmm. sometimes it just blows me away what they do. Um, one of the newer breweries in Nevada is up in Reno, but Revision is doing some great stuff with Northeast IPAs. I really, really enjoyed what they're doing. Okay. I'll have to check that out. For you, what is your personal favorite brew style or, or brew method that you, you love? Oh, gosh. Um, shoot, I, I, I grew up filtering almost everything. And, and now I don't now I don't filter too much uh, and if I do I just uh, it's not filtering it's finding but uh, uh, so that's changed my perspective a little bit uh, as I said before I still love the the classic German Pilsner uh, or, or the bohemian Pilsner um, and beyond that I you know I I used to love Meritzen's, but I made so many of them all over the years and had so many of them that that I just frankly got a little bit tired of them yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, my, my tastes are constantly changing. So, um, you know, as a brewer, you're supposed to go and taste your beer all the time anyway. So I'm, I'm tasting different ones of my products every day. And I've got 16 on tap. So it takes wow. me about a week to, to work through all of them. Um, but for me, it's all about what mood my taste buds are in that day, you know. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's the thing, I, you know. I think a lot of people don't understand this people's taste buds are different every day. Um, you can taste the same beer on a Tuesday and then go on a Wednesday and it just tastes totally different depending on what you did to your mouth the whole day long. Uh, so I'm always chasing that, that ultimate beer experience, of course, you know, where you, it's like, that's the perfect beer at the perfect time. Mm. And, uh, and when I've had it, uh, one example is I went up to Portland back in the early nineties and, uh, I think it was Bridgeport brewing, uh, but they, but they had a, a McTarnahan's, it was a Scottish red ale. Ooh. And um, my wife were up there and we had it and we thought it was the best beer we had ever had. And we yeah. went back the next year and had it again. And we're like, hmm, <laughs> what were you thinking? You know, yeah. but, but it was that night, it was that atmosphere and it was, you know, our taste buds were, were tuned for it. And uh, yeah. so I'm always chasing that experience and, and then also chasing, you know, the food and the beer pairings. So I had a, uh, I, uh, West Coast IPA with a strawberry cheesecake. Oh my God, it just blew me away. And that was yeah. the first time that I'd ever been blown away by a food pairing. And ever since then, I've been trying to chase uh, food pairings like that. And so you get one plus one equals three. What's, what's your favorite food pairing? Oh boy. Uh, or one that you, you've ever yeah. had. Uh, the blue cheesecake. Yeah, it was, well, it was a cheesecake and IPA was, was definitely up there on the list. Um, uh, a good mac and cheese and a, and a nice, not overly bitter IPA. Uh, I love that because it kind of cuts the, the 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 proteins and the and the, the richness of the of the mac and cheese. And then um, I, I like just doing. Uh, it's harder to match IPAs with stuff. Um, a good Genoa salami and an IPA goes really well, I think. Um, but on the other end, you know, you've got the anything like a red or an amber goes really well with uh, barbecue, and I just love that that combination. You get the caramel on the caramel on the reds and the and the burnts on the barbecue, and oh, nothing better. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, was there any misconceptions or anything that you're like, okay, this is different than what I thought it was, um, in being in a brewery? 
Um, I'd say canning. You know, I, I never canned before I opened up this place. Um, and frankly, I, I was just shocked about how little money you make off of cans. Really? Uh, well, Nevada's a three-tier state, so we have to push all our cans through a oh, distributor. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, they they suggest one price because, of course, they're going to take it and mark it up there 25 35%. And then the retailer is going to take it and mark it up 25 35%. And out of the whole chain, the, you know, the brewer makes the least amount of money. Yeah. Because if we give them at, at too high of a price, then instead of you know aiming for like a 9.99 six pack, mm. it's going to end up being 14 dollars, and nobody's going to pay 14 dollars for a five percent beer in a six pack. Um, if you can sell them out of your tap room, then then yeah, you make you make decent money. But uh, um, yeah, I uh, I should have known better probably. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, cans are all about volume. And uh, uh, when you're only equipped to do maybe 4,000 barrels a year, uh, that's still probably not enough barrels to, to pump out enough cans to make a ton of money. But it is great marketing, by the way. So if you design your cans right, then, then bars will take them in. And then if they're popular enough, they'll put you on tap. Dang. That's, uh, that's crazy. Is there any particular parts of brewing beer or being a part of a brewery that you love? I love the smell of the mash in the morning when we're brewing. Never, ever gets old, ever. Yeah. Um, uh, still hate cleaning the beer lines every week. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's got to be done, so you do it. Um, I think, uh, for me, the, the best part of brewing is... is uh, because, you know, I, I said before, I had those degrees, and I was a desk jockey for a while. Yeah. Um, but brewing uses everything you have. So the physical, the mental, the spiritual, you know, and, and not too many jobs do that. Uh, and that's the best part about brewing is, um, and every day is an adventure because, you know, hey, pump's down today. What are you going to do, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, your sales guy just sold a ton of beer to to a restaurant. Do you have it? Oh boy, maybe not, you know, and then you got to figure it out. So, uh, it, it's never, never gets old because it's always different. You've described, um, four of your beers. Can you describe some of the other rotationals too as well? Sure. Um, so, uh, we, we're doing, I think six seasonals this year. So we've done two already. So the love juice was the first one we put in cans. This has a seasonal Northeast IPA. Um, the one uh, that we just ran out of in cans now uh, is a pina colada sour. So we're doing a whole series of kettle sours based on tropical drinks. So Ooh. the first one's a pina colada. I think we'll do a sea breeze, uh, okay. Singapore sling, um, and maybe a mai tai. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're all kind of fun, you know. And, and and I'll be honest, I'm not a huge sour guy. I I, I can drink my sours, uh, yeah. but it's not the first thing I'm going to order. But like that pina colada sour, when we were canning, it was like, you know, you always get those crushed cans with beer left in them. So you're sipping them as you're, you know, running the canning line. And, and we found ourselves continually sipping it. And that's not usual yeah. uh, on, on that kind of a beer. Um, we have a couple semi-permanents right now. So I have a Belgian triple on. It's a very traditional 9% Belgian triple. I've got a red that I kind of changed and tweaked the recipe on every time I do it. Um, 
Uh, I, I do it a little more hoppy and, and bitter than most reds, so, but it's, it tends to fetch, feature citra hops again um, and a lot of German red malts. Um, and then, uh, golly, uh, everything else is sort of up for grabs. It, it kind of depends what, what grabs me at the time. I got a, a mango milkshake IPA on right now that I did for our um, two-year anniversary party. And I tried, yeah, I tried to keep a couple taps open just for, for beers. Uh, we just ran out of a, we called it the Pearly Gates, but it was, there's an orchard on the north side of town in North Las Vegas, and they grow Asian pears, and they, they give us 50 pounds of them. So I sliced them, diced them, and put them in a Belgian golden ale. And wow. uh, uh, so we're always trying to kind of do stuff like that because, you know, in, in, in the brewing business, especially when you have three tiers, you're going to make most of your money out of your tap room. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can have exclusive beers just to your tap room, all the better. That's really cool. Is there any advice you'd give to someone that wants to build up a brewery or build up a biz small business? I would uh, go into it, first of all, deciding whether what, what kind of brewery you want to be. Uh, do you want to be a small local brewery or do you want to take over the world? Um, yeah. Because I, I think um, right now you're more likely to succeed if you can put your brewery in a, in a, a decent place and, and stay small and sell yeah. everything out of your tap room. Uh, uh, if I had to do it over again, I may have gone that way, um, knowing what I know now. Uh, because like I said, the the distribution and the, the market out there is tough. It's tough everywhere. It's tough here in Vegas, but it's, you know, it's also tough in California where you got six or seven other hundred breweries you're, mm. you're competing with. Um, and people like the local aspect. So, you know, they'll, they'll come seek you out and get your beer uh, as long as you're making quality product. And the other thing is, is make sure you, you know how to make quality beer and, and how to keep it that way. Um, I've seen a lot of breweries open up with home brewers, uh, that didn't get any help from anybody, and it was a disaster because, it, you know, professional brewing and home brewing is two different things. You're doing the same thing in the end, but um, yeah. the, the equipment you have to manage and everything else, it's, it's just so tough uh, unless you have somebody experienced that can kind of guide you and let you know what you're doing. Yeah. So that would be my biggest point of advice is find somebody who's worked in a, in a kind of brewery that you want to open and, and uh, pay them because it, it would be money well spent. Uh, even if, if they're not going to be your brewer, pay them to be your consultant and, and yeah. come in and help you uh, get, get you up and running. Well, what's your favorite thing about Las Vegas? I love the desert. Um, and raising my kids here, you know, it was great because uh, they both love baseball. Uh, they were okay at it. They weren't superstars, but you could yeah. play year-round here, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the winter, you can go hiking at all the desert trails that you can't do in the summer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the summer, you just try to survive, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I think most people who live here while, you know, they'll tell you this. You just don't think about it. Don't think about the heat, because if you do, it's going to get you down eventually, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I like the dry. Um, I've, I've been in enough... Uh, beer markets uh, with Gordon Beers and stuff where I don't, under, uh, don't understand why people would want to have almost the same temperature in the summer in Vegas, but then add another 80% humidity, yeah. you know? Um, it's, it's crazy. And, and I 
where you're from, even Tulsa, you know, some of those summer days with oh, the humidity. Rough. Yeah. That's oh, all. I miss the dry heat <laughs> <laughs> and, and like most locals, I, I don't go to the strip too much. Um, yeah. Uh, try to avoid it. Uh, exactly. But it's it's nice having it there because if hey, if you want to take your wife and go see a show, you can do that. You know, yeah. and um, uh, I would have said until recently the biggest attraction here was you didn't have pro sports. Yeah. You know? And I grew up in Northern California with the A's and the Raiders and the Warriors and so on and so forth. So it was always kind of cool to to go catch a game. And and now that's changing here with the the Knights especially and then the right. Raiders coming in. So. Just can hope for a major league baseball team eventually. So. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be awesome. That'd be great. Well, I want to thank you for being on the Loki podcast. Um, is there any like social media things that people can follow you on, or where are you guys at? Okay, so I'm not the the best at this. My my niece, who is my lead bartender, actually runs all my. Uh, social media but we're on facebook we're on instagram uh yeah. it's all love lady brewing um uh probably uh, a few other platforms too but majority of people we reach are either through uh, uh facebook or instagram right now um and then we also have our website uh which we try to keep updated on the beer list but it changes uh every other couple days so it may not be total totally accurate um but uh yeah and then you can you can always come down here in Vegas. When you're in Vegas, you know, a lot of people, especially in the afternoons, we get a ton of tourists from the Strip, you know, and they're all Ubering out here. And it can be as low as 20 bucks to catch an Uber out here from the Strip. Yeah. And then you got three or four other breweries that are close by, too. So. That's awesome. All right. Well, cheers. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Low Key Podcast. If you're ever in Las Vegas or the Henderson area, go check out Love Lady Brewing. Go try their Paleo Porter. It's something that's magnificent. Now go check them out on their social mediums, Facebook, Instagram, and all that jazz. If you listen to the Low Key Podcast and don't subscribe to us, subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you're a subscriber, go give us a rate and review. Give us five stars. It helps us out. Now that's it in low-key land. Keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it low-key.